chapter 7, and we're going to be reading from verse 37 through to 44. And it was after Jesus' brothers headed off to the festival of the tabernacles that Jesus himself secretly decided to attend. Halfway through, found himself teaching the temple. And as we come to verse 37, it's coming to the end of the festival. And that's where we have our reading this morning. So John 7, starting at verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in, who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. And still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. <coughs> May God bless his word. Thanks so much, Tony. Well, for those of you who don't know, I'm Charlie. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just very quickly want to say thank you to those who've been praying for us and our family. Uh, the situation is deteriorating. It's not getting better. So uh, please continue to pray. Um, I don't imagine we'll see Elena until July, August, somewhere thereabouts. Um, she'll stay in New Zealand to be as big an assistant as she can in that situation. Well, we are commencing, or we are continuing our series on um, Holy Spirit, and so um, I hope you're able to connect with what we've just read as we move through to explain this, and I really do hope that you connect with the series. And certainly as we've commenced this series, there's been a number of people who say that they've never received any teaching on Holy Spirit, and some of the stuff that is out there is a little bit concerning, um, and if we were to look at what happens in the world, we'd be very deceived as to what scripture says about baptism of Holy Spirit and filling of the Holy Spirit. So there's many things that could be spoken about when we cover these topics, but I'm going back to the word. I'm going back to what God's word says. And we must always do that. You don't rely on people's experiences. You don't rely on how good something looks. You rely on what God's word says. It is the authority. There is no one and nothing greater than this word. It is the very word of God and we must hang on that. So a couple of weeks ago, I did a very brief overview on Holy Spirit based on John 14, 15 to 27. And when we looked at that, uh, as you read that passage of scripture, you see that Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We see that he's our helper. We see that he's the spirit of truth who always presents truth to us. And we also see that he is a seal on each and every believer. You call upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you receive Holy Spirit. Last week, 
week was a focus uh, on the end of John 15 and the beginning of John 16. And from those verses, we see that Holy Spirit is present with us. We see that he bears witness about Christ. He is always pointing to Christ. And then we had that interesting passage where it speaks about he reproves the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, which speaks about Christ's act upon the cross and the fact that he is found righteous, then the world is found guilty in convicting him and killing him. And again, Holy Spirit guides us into truth. And Holy Spirit role is always to glorify Christ. He never seeks glory for himself. He always points to Christ. So as we begin to look at the topic today, it's important to keep in mind two of the points that we've had mentioned in those passages. And that is that Holy Spirit is the seal of all believers. And Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. The reason this is important is that when you repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you receive Holy Spirit. That's true of every believer. The work of Holy Spirit is always to glorify Christ. It is he who draws you to Christ before you even believe, before you know Jesus. It is he who causes you to hunger and thirst for more and more of Christ so that you grow in your spiritual walk with him. He never seeks glory for himself. He never draws attention to himself. He glorifies Christ. And from the passage today and others, we're going to be looking at being filled and baptized in the Spirit. Let's pause and pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that it is alive. I thank you that it speaks to us. And God, that's my prayer this morning, that you will just speak to us through power of Holy Spirit, that we will hear your voice and that we will respond to that. You and you alone, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, I'm going to be speaking very fast. We've got a ton of stuff to get through and not a lot of time to do it. So uh, as I researched this topic, uh, I came across an account by Billy Graham. Billy Graham was sitting in an auditorium one day listening to this revival preacher. And uh, he, he had this fire and brimstone type approach. And, and this man uh, must have known some of the people in the congregation, the guy that's preaching, he'd point at someone and say, have you been baptised in the Spirit? And the man would say, yes, I have, brother, praise God. And he'd point at different people. And he just happened to point at Billy Graham and said, have you been baptised in the Spirit? And Billy said, yes, I have. And the man said, when did that happen? He said, when I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the guy said, that is simply not possible. And this is the issue that we face today. There's people who believe the baptism of Holy Spirit is something separate to when we come to know and understand the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. Billy has never changed his opinion from that moment when he was in that auditorium. God's word is the authority. It's what the book says that we have to accept as truth, not what we think is good, not someone's experience. God's word and his word alone. It's important, though, that first and foremost, we look at when Holy Spirit came. The passage we've had read to us today, very closely tied with the day of Pentecost. Jesus, when he was talking about it, um, was pointing forward to what would happen when he ascended. We see in this verse the Feast of Booths, and this was occurring in Judah. And this is the occasion where Jesus' brothers uh, didn't believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and they were actually making fun of him. It's like, go on, go up to Judah. If you're who you claim to be, you should reveal yourself. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going. But later he went secretly, and he ended up preaching in the temple. 
And the Jews celebrate the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles and they all move out of their own homes and they end up staying in tents or huts, if you like, constructed out of trees to symbolise their travelling through the wilderness, their great deliverance by God from Egypt. And every day of the feast, the high priest would go to the pool of Siloam. And he would draw water out of the pool with a golden vessel and he would pour that water out on the altar. And the people, when, when that water was poured out on the altar, the people would sing and shout. They would celebrate what God had done and they did that for seven days. On the eighth day, the eighth day was called the great day of the feast. And on the eighth day, there were sacrifices and everything made, but the water was not drawn. The water was not part of these celebrations. And because the water was not part of the celebrations, part of that was the fact that the people remained silent. They didn't sing, they didn't celebrate, they didn't engage with anything. It was a day of repentance. It was a day of coming before the Lord and humbling themselves. And on that last day, Jesus stood up. And he said this, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And although we don't see it very clearly here, Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the fountain of living water. There would have been thousands of people gathered who would have heard Jesus say this and they would have known exactly what he was saying. They wouldn't have necessarily agreed that Jesus was that fount, but they would have known what he was claiming. And when we look back at Jeremiah 17, 13, we see that it speaks of the Lord being the hope of Israel and those who forsake him forsake the fountain of living water. This is what Jesus is referring to. When we go to Revelation 7.17, it tells us that Jesus will be our shepherd and he will guide us to springs of living water. And even in our passage today, Jesus makes it clear what the rivers of living water are that he speaks of. That living water is Holy Spirit. And before Holy Spirit that living water could be given, the fountain had to be opened. Jesus had to be glorified. And we know that this was accomplished in his death, his resurrection and his ascension. And ascension is just a term we use for the way that Jesus rose into heaven on that day. And we know through scripture that Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for each and every person on this earth. He reigns in glory. But once Jesus ascended, he said that he would release Holy Spirit and people would experience the baptism of Holy Spirit. I know I need to tread carefully here, but I make no apology for what I'm about to say because this is straight from Scripture. You need to listen to it all and you need to accept it. When we speak about these topics, they divide the church some people will be willing to learn from each other. Some people will just throw this out the door because it's not what they're comfortable with. But it doesn't matter what subject we have, any true believer should want to go to Scripture and see what Scripture says about that topic and hold fast to that. There are only seven 
mentions of baptism of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Seven. No more. Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16 are very, very similar. They're verbatim, basically, in what they say. There's also Mark 1.8 and John 1.33. I appreciate you can't read that. That's okay. But what they do, they speak about the same event. They speak about John the Baptist, John the Baptist sorry, speaking about a future event, saying that you know he baptizes with water, but one is going to come who will baptize you with the Spirit. So he's speaking about this future event which will occur. And then we have Jesus himself who references what John has said in these verses in Acts 1, 4 and 5. He tells them to stay not to depart from Jerusalem, because in a few days, you know, as you heard from John the Baptist, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus. And Peter mentions these words again when he's challenged over going into a Gentile's house, something which is forbidden for Jews. And, but at any other time, that would have been okay. But now, for Christians, it doesn't matter, Jewish or otherwise. And Peter has this encounter with the Gentiles. He, go, he had been in their house and he speaks to them and Holy Spirit falls on them. And he remembers what the Lord said about John the Baptist. That John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with Holy Spirit. This is an event that shocked the Jewish believers, especially those who were there to witness it. They, they couldn't understand how this could happen firsthand. And we're told in Acts 10.45 that the Jewish believers were amazed because the gift of Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And the final passage that mentions baptism of Holy Spirit is 1 Corinthians 12.13. For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all made to drink one spirit. These are the passages that refer to the baptism of Holy Spirit in the New Testament. There are no others. There is no second baptism. When we think about Pentecost, that first time the Holy Spirit was poured out on believers, it's an incredible event, but it's one that we are tied to also. If you were a believer, you would testify that Jesus Christ died for all. I'm sure that would be the case. It is an absolute biblical truth. There's no other option in Scripture. There is no other way to come into a saving knowledge and to gain eternal life. Jesus died for each and every member of his body, his church. And he did that before we were believers. He did that when we were at our worst. Each of us need to repent and believe in him. And when we do, we become members of one body, his body, the church. And this happens all because of what Jesus did. His death, his resurrection and his ascension. The baptism of the spirit spoken about occurs at that time. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, it is the seal and assurance of your faith. When we receive or accept Jesus, we receive Holy Spirit and we receive it by a baptism of the Spirit. Now, the word baptism there is, 
I don't know, it's been misrepresented so much. But I want you to think about a sponge whenever you think of the word baptism. And this sponge is dry and it's fully immersed in the water and it's squeezed until it takes everything that it can take. That is what the word baptism means. And that sponge, you lift that out of the water, what happens? All this water flows off. It's filled to capacity and more. The intention is always that we be filled to a point of overflowing so that goes out to others around us. So if that is the case, what's this mean? There are many examples of being filled with the Spirit in Scripture. Uh, They occurred in Old Testament days when we look at Exodus 28. Many were filled with the Spirit of God who will make the items for the temple. And, And so they were filled with the Spirit of God for those particular things. That was a work of God. In 1 Samuel 11, the Spirit of God rushed on Saul and Saul did some amazing things because of the Spirit upon him. But sadly... The Spirit was also removed from Saul uh, a little bit later on. And there's many examples in the Old Testament of Holy Spirit coming upon people, but they were individual people. Holy Spirit was never poured out, as we know, from the day of Pentecost. And we come into the New Testament, and we've got some people who are in the now and the not yet sort of thing. And so when we think about John the Baptist, John the Baptist had the Spirit upon him in his mother's womb. We think about Elizabeth, and Elizabeth had the Spirit come upon her. We think about Mary, and she had the Spirit on her. And there's all these people who experienced Holy Spirit, but not in the way that we do. And so there's many mentions. Elizabeth, Zachariah were also people who experienced Holy Spirit in that way. They were filled in a special way. And then Holy Spirit was released on all men. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And what we're told here as being a filling of Holy Spirit is the event that John the Baptist, sorry, is referred to by John the Baptist and what was recorded in all those Gospels that I mentioned earlier. It isn't a contradiction or mistake. When Scripture speaks of being filled with the Spirit, it's speaking about a person who is totally under his influence and power, someone who is swayed by Holy Spirit alone. To be filled by anything is to be totally engaged with it, under its influence and led by it. And so it is with being filled with the Spirit. And on the first occasion of Holy Spirit being released upon man, we see many incredible things happen. There was this sound of rushing wind. There were tongues of fire distributed. And we see two things that happened as a result of that upon the people who were present. They were baptized with Holy Spirit and they were filled by him. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Because of this last bit, I wonder if some didn't speak in tongues because it was only as the Spirit gave them utterance, because I think that means some didn't. They spoke in languages that the gathered thousands would understand. The manifestation of Holy Spirit gave glory to God. They spoke in tongues those people would understand. These people heard them talking in their own tongues of the mighty works of God. That's what Holy Spirit does. None of them had mindless drivel or gibberish. I've been in entire meetings where the whole congregation was just blabbering. It didn't honour anyone. And it's this that creates a template 
where people say this is normal. And so everyone who becomes a Christian should speak in tongues. Please do not hear me saying that. It is simply not true. I don't believe it. We have 120 followers of Jesus. And a portion of those spoke in tongues. Perhaps the majority. I don't know. They spoke in a tongue as God gave them utterance. Can God do that today? Yeah. Will he do it? I have no doubt. Is it for everyone? No. I don't see that. We have 120 people who this was manifested to in a very special way. And we have 3,000 that we choose to ignore who came to faith on the same day. No mention of them receiving tongues of fire. No mention of them having a great rushing wind. No mention of them speaking in tongues. And yet we focus on the 120 and we say that's normal. The distinction with the, between these two groups is really important and we must try and understand it because the norm is surely the 3,000, not the 120. Surely. It happened on the same day. It's clear that there was this two-stage occurrence with the 120. Why was it two-stage for them? They already believed and followed Jesus, but they couldn't receive that which had not been released. And so they were told to wait. And they waited for Holy Spirit to come. If Holy Spirit was readily available to all men when they believed, I believe they would have received it. But Holy Spirit had not been released. And Jesus told them to wait. We, like the 3,000, live after Pentecost. We are part of the norm. We're part of that group. We believe. We get baptised in Holy Spirit. There's no wait. He comes upon us as our seal as believers. And I think that's what's been through this entire message is the forgiveness of sin, the three gifts of Holy Spirit, the baptism of Holy Spirit. They all occur together. They're all part of that one incredible, amazing event that so many of you have been a part of. From the day of Pentecost forward, all true believers, beginning with 120 and the 3,000, have Holy Spirit live in them. Only the 120 are recorded as speaking another language when they receive the Holy Spirit. What is really interesting is nowhere in Scripture are you commanded or instructed to pray to be baptised in the Holy Spirit or to receive Holy Spirit. Nowhere. But we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not drink, get, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is the only command relating to this. And this passage causes issues for many people, but it's relatively straightforward, I think. This is a call for us to respond to all that God has done. God cannot work with passive subjects. We are not saved by works. Do not hear me say that. But God cannot work with passive subjects. We have to understand what Jesus Christ has done to us and we respond to that. It's not anything we have done, it's all that Christ has done. But in responding to that and giving Jesus Christ our lives and saying, I believe in you as my Lord and Saviour, there's an expectation that we will then live for him. All we are, all we have, all we ever will be is a result of God and who he is. But as Christians, we must make life choices that bring honour and glory to God. Amen? 
Good, I'm glad you're with me. We are to think about how we use our time. We are to think about how we spend time with God. We are to commit time with him so we can get to know him. And as we know him, we become filled with the Spirit because we put away those things that we know dishonor and don't bring glory to him and we focus on what brings him glory. What God is asking us to do through Paul in this verse is to focus our attention on Christ, his presence with us, and open ourselves continuously to the transforming work of Holy Spirit. So it is he who empowers and equips and shapes us each and every day. And there's some who's going to be sitting here this morning and they're going to say, but, and they've got a right to. There's a few appearing exceptions to what I've just said. The first account is in Acts 8. It's the first account we have of people coming to faith through the ministry of a second-generation leader. It's not one of the apostles. And, and this, is, this guy, Philip, is one of the seven who was appointed with Stephen um, to be deacons in Acts 6. And Philip goes out. And Philip was a man who was full of faith and the Spirit. That's what it says about these seven deacons. And the message that Philip presented to the people was believed and these people were baptized and word got back to the apostles about what was going on in Samaria and so Peter and John go down to Samaria to see exactly what's going on and they find these people who've believed in the gospel message but who have not received Holy Spirit and so what happens is Peter and John lay hands on them and they received Holy Spirit what's that all about it seems a contradiction of what I said. We need to think about the circumstances of each of these cases. Think about the animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. When Christ died for his church, he died for all men, and he wants unity amongst all people. What better way to create that than for the Jewish leaders of the church to go to these new Christians who are enemies of the Jews? And to see Holy Spirit fall on them just as he did on themselves. What better way for the Samaritans to see that they received this incredible gift of God through the Jewish leaders of the church. I can't think of any better way to bring unity in the church between those two groups of people. If you can, please let me know. And I believe that's what is going on in this situation. God allowed this anomaly, this Difference, so that there'd be greater unity in the church. And those Jews went back and testified to how Holy Spirit had come upon the Samaritans. The second anomaly is regarding Saul's conversion in Acts 9. People say, when was he filled with Holy Spirit? And so Ananias comes to the house, he lays hands on Paul, on Saul, sorry, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with Holy Spirit. It seems like he believed at some time and then this is another offence. This is another event. It's, it's a second filling. But we don't know that. Scripture remains silent. If you read that account, tell me when Saul came to faith. It doesn't actually say. And, and people will refer to um, verse 5 where Saul says... Lord. But the word Lord there could mean my very own Lord, but it can also mean Sir. 
It doesn't necessarily refer to a deity. And I don't know about you, but if I got knocked off my horse with a white light, I'd be a little bit respectful to whoever that was that did that. And so I see Saul as being respectful, but still struggling with what this means, who this guy is. And then we are told that Saul spent three days praying before Ananias came. What was he praying about? What was it he was seeking? And at what period did he come to faith? Because we really don't know. I'll leave that one with you. And the final one is Acts 19, where Paul goes to Ephesus and he finds 12 people who appear to be disciples, but they have not yet received the Spirit. What's the difference with those guys? They were they received the baptism of John, John the Baptist, and they were baptized by him, and they were waiting for whoever it was that John said was come. They hadn't heard about Jesus. And so Paul speaks to them about Jesus, and he lays hands on them, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they actually start speaking in tongues and prophesying. No second baptism or no second experience of Holy Spirit but certainly a manifestation of prophecy and tongues. And the tongues there, again, is other known languages, languages that these guys hadn't learned. And this is the only other occurrence of people speaking in other languages when Holy Spirit comes upon them at their conversion. So it's not normal. It's an anomaly. And I don't fully understand this one. I don't know why this occurred the way that it did. But I know these guys went on to proclaim the Lord's goodness to others. Well, that was all right for the time we had. What can we take from this today? I want you to understand first and foremost, every Christian, every true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ must agree, based on the scriptures that we've looked at, all true believers are baptised in Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. I don't think you can draw any other conclusion from what we've looked at. What we should also agree on is that salvation is past, present and future. I have been saved. That's my justification where I've been put back into right relationship with God. Then I am being saved. That's my sanctification where I daily set aside or put to death again my old self so that I choose to live for Jesus each and every day. And then I will be saved. When I die or Jesus returns, let's pray he comes soon, I will be glorified with him. I was saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. And our sanctification in the here and now is all about holiness. Holiness in our lives can only be achieved by the work of Holy Spirit in our hearts. There is no other way. And regardless of whether you believe what has been said today or not, you should seek holiness. I want you to remember Jesus' words that we heard earlier, where he promises that from the innermost being of the one who believes in him will flow rivers of living water. Remember the sponge. To what extent is that true in your life? To what extent is that true of me? Since I've trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour, I've experienced the abundance of the comfort and presence of Holy Spirit. And I pray that's true for you.
He fills us to overflow to others so we can draw them to the kingdom to glorify God, to glorify Jesus. That's his role. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word and big message, Lord. And I just pray that you have been doing your thing by power of Holy Spirit, touching people's lives, ministering to them. And Lord, there's going to be people who are confused by what they've heard. I, I just pray you'll give them clarity of thought. I pray that you'll give them a desire to know you more, that they'll go to their Bibles themselves. They'll read uh, what we've said today, Lord. And that you will just challenge them, encourage them, build them in their faith. And that as a result of this, Lord, they'll follow you ever more closely. For each of us, Lord, may we seek your holiness. May we seek to be holy because you are holy. And Lord, for everyone who hears my voice here in the auditorium at home, I pray each and every one of us will be standing in glory in your presence, believers of all that Jesus has done for us. Amen.